What's good, Faith Walkers? Welcome back to the God's Vibes podcast. We're going to talk about diagnosing today, why it's not working. So if you've ever found yourself asking, why is it not working? I am doing all the things and even more things, and it is not working. What gives? If you found yourself asking that question, we're going to diagnose it today, probably in a way that you don't expect. But my intention, the aim here is that this will enlighten you and bless you and ultimately empower you so that you can break free from that question and start having and enjoying your life. Before we dive in, you must know you are invited this week on Thursday, Thursday, August 10th, we are doing a masterclass called Heal from Hidden Emotional and Psychological Abuse. One of the things that the enemy is using in stealth mode is this, emotional and psychological abuse. Because if he can get you caught up in a battle that you don't even know that you're in, you can be caught up in that battle for years. And the main intention with this is to wipe you out. And you deserve to know the truth, see the truth, and fully heal. So if you feel confused and devastated by the hurtful and strange behavior of someone you have loved or served for years and you thought loved and valued you. Does that sound like you? Are you exhausted and traumatized by a relationship with someone who is well-liked by others and seems so nice, quote unquote? Do you wonder if a person in your life is a narcissist, but when you research narcissism, since that is so loud in the world these days, the description doesn't completely match up. Have you found yourself in a toxic hope cycle? In this 60-minute masterclass, we're going to bring forth training and coaching to help you heal and find freedom from hidden abuse. So what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about traits of a covert narcissist. Now, this is way different, I promise you, than what you find on the internet about somebody who is a NPD, somebody that suffers with narcissistic personality disorder, you're not going to find this with the covert types. We're going to talk about this one in different relationship contexts. You have a way to identify it. We're going to talk about control and manipulation tactics that are often used in emotional and psychological abuse. We're going to talk about the traits of the targets of this kind of abuse, what survivors experience so that you know that you're not alone or someone in your life is not alone, and the road to healing and restoration because this journey can feel awful, 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 awful. And a lot of times folks are are suffering for years without knowing what is actually happening. So you're going to understand why you feel so confused and exhausted. You're going to see the illusion and grasp the clarity you need, the healing you deserve, and the strength to live a life that reflects the magnificent beauty inside you. So everybody is welcome. This is going to be held in the Courage Co. Masterclass Bundle. So Courage Co. is a free community off social media where we help you live your most courageous and impactful stories. So there are different small groups, virtual small groups every single week, which are super fun to get plugged into. Depending on what you're craving, you can get plugged into one or all of them. We have prayer calls every other week and we have weekly inspiration. Plus, we have the Courage Co. Masterclass Bundle and this is where we take it a step deeper. So if you actually want to train, (laughs) this is the bundle for you. It's essentially getting personal development for less than 50 cents a day. Okay, really a no-brainer. I have never seen something like that in my life. And I don't know what I would have done had this been available to me all the years ago when I needed it most. All right. And the reality is if we're not growing, we're dying. We constantly need to be growing and evolving. And we all have room to grow, right? So every single month in the Courage Co. Masterclass Bundle, there is a masterclass that's 60 minutes in length, and there is a challenge. So this month, the challenge is going to be on the 22nd through the 24th, and we're breaking free from drama addictions. That's another one you don't want to miss. And we also have guest interviews, and you get access in the Courage Co. Masterclass Bundle to every single live training that we've done. You get access to the replays, you get access to the notes, and you get ongoing virtual coaching on that content. So let's say that you wanted to go through one of the masterclasses from November. 
you could start asking a question and still get coaching on that content. Okay, so you get access to the Courage Co. Masterclass bundle for an entire year. All right, so make sure that you get plugged in. You can go to www.courageco.org to join us this Thursday for healing from emotional and psychological abuse. You don't want to miss this. We cannot afford to be blind to what the enemy is doing. And this is the one, of the, one of the ways <laughs> that he definitely tries to operate underneath the radar in stealth mode to get us broke, busted, and disgusted, which we cannot afford to be when we are going after destiny. You need all of your energy available to fight the good fight of faith, all right? And we're going to help you free up that energy. So join us, www.courageco.org. Click on the Courage Co. Masterclass bundle. If you are inside Courage Co., All you got to do is click on courses and programs and you'll see the Courage Co. Masterclass bundle there as an option. All right. So looking forward to growing with you guys and seeing you inside this Thursday, August 10th. It's at 7 p.m. Central Time. And if you can't be there live, just get in the bundle and you'll be able to get the replay. All right. So let's diagnose what's going on when it's not working. I know for me, as somebody that was programmed to be a high-achieving human, (laughs) that I would never get results fast enough. I was always on to the next thing, on to the next thing, right? I was constantly moving and grooving. Like, I could not slow down and be still. The idea of being still was like, who has time for that, right? That's a luxury. I, I can't afford that in my life, right? But I had no idea, right? I was deceived. So I was running after all these things, and they seemed like good things. They seemed like things that you would celebrate, but I wasn't admitting that there was so much of what I was doing that was not working, and I couldn't afford to see that, because if it wasn't working, then what was I going to do, okay? So if you found yourself asking this question, let's dive into it. Now, I have had, and this is really interesting, (laughs) sometimes when people come to work with me, it's reluctantly in the beginning because they know that they've got to admit some things that are hard to admit. They got to start looking at some things that are going to be uncomfortable to look at. They've got to start doing some deeper work that they've run from their whole life. So sometimes they come reluctantly. They can only ever get access by choice because <laughs> I have a hard rule. If you're not ready and willing, I will not work with you. Angle work. Angle work. So you got to have both. But people sometimes come reluctantly. They are ready and willing, but they're reluctant, they're fearful, they're anxious about the work. So I had a friend that had been referred. Somebody said, I think you need to give this coach a call. And that suggestion made that person really see and recognize that for their friend to refer them to a coach, that they their friend must notice that something is not working in their life, right? And the friend gracefully (laughs) and graciously acknowledged that and held it up to that person. But initially, this client felt a combination of just wanting to be dismissive and defensive, but deep down knew that their friend was right. Have you ever been there? You have this well-meaning person that's like, hey, you should go get some help. Hey, you should call that therapist. Hey, have you ever thought of working with a coach? And you're like, I feel called out, (laughs) but yes, you're right. This is weird, right? Now, usually people like this client are not easily discouraged, right? They rarely feel stressed or anxious, let's say. They're driven, they're energetic, right? For most of their life, right, it's been something that hasn't been necessary, let's say, to start being supported because they've always kept a positive perspective. But when challenges come, this is when people close to us can see that we're struggling, right? And we don't want to admit it because people like this, we don't want to brag, but we're really good at not asking for help. If you were to rate yourself on how good you are at not asking for help, scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like an expert, how good are you (laughs) at not asking for help, right? 
we're way too good at not asking for help, right? Because when you think about those movies, people want to be the superhero. They don't want to be the one that's hanging helplessly from a balcony, desperate to be saved, right? They want to be Spider-Man or I don't know what all the heroes are, but you get the point, right? They want to be the hero, not the one in need of a rescue. So for many, it's hard to ask for help because they don't want to be perceived as weak. And they worry that asking for help comes off as whiny or, you know, they're not able to handle their life. But instead, they feel frustrated, tired, overwhelmed, stressed out, anxious, discouraged, depressed. And they live in that and just deny it every single day. And they're just digging a deep hole in their life, right? And that approach works well for a while until it doesn't, (laughs) right? Because you don't want to whine, you just want to deal with it. So a lot of times people's way of dealing with it, discouragement and disappointment, let's say, is becoming really frustrated and overwhelmed and anxious, right? So the idea of asking for help and starting to work with somebody where you can start taking a look at what's going on inside of you, what's happening in your brain, what's happening to you with your feelings and with your emotions, what's going on in your heart, that seems really, really uncomfortable, right? But when you actually start doing this, everything that you've been hiding and denying finally can come to the surface to be addressed. So you don't have to run. You can finally start looking at it and dealing with it, okay? So here are some of the things that came up with this client, all right? And I have full permission to share this and I won't use this person's name, but everyone has an opinion about what I should be doing differently or how I could do it better. I can't post anything on social media without somebody taking it personally and getting offended. My list of things that need to get done feels like a weight that's too heavy, but more plates get added to the bar every day. The people I care about the most are always getting my leftover energy and time. I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. And I think everyone around me is starting to figure that out. I feel like everyone needs something from me and all I do is let them down. For the first time in my life, I don't feel very motivated or driven. I come home from work and just want to lie on the couch and stare at my phone. Even though I know God's grace, I feel like I'm letting him down. I don't know why he doesn't pull me out of the game and put someone else in. I feel discouraged, and I'm discouraged about feeling discouraged because I'm supposed to be the one who encourages people who are discouraged. So, interesting, right? A lot of times, too, when people are used to holding this all in, when they first express it, they can start to feel ashamed or shame, right? Because it sounds to them, although this is not true, it sounds to them as weak, pathetic, probably whiny, right? Or annoying. And it might feel helpless, right? But when you start to actually look at it, instead of being defensive, you can be curious and then you can start to see, well, shoot, my way of living from what I've clearly expressed here is not working. Right? And the question that we hate, (laughs) how would you say that's working for you? That's super annoying, right? When you already know it's not working. (laughs) So that question though, right? You can ask it. I know I've asked it to, you know, middle-aged men who has all the toys but still feels empty. I've asked it to an alcoholic who's trying to get over a divorce. I've asked it to a woman who is always put together on the outside, but feels like her life is out of control. I've asked it of a pastor who feels like it's their job to make everyone happy. I've asked it of a CEO who's killing it at work, but is only vaguely aware of what's happening in the lives of their children. I've asked this question to all these kinds of people. How's that working for you? It's the question you ask when people know they need to make a change, but they're denying it, okay? And we somewhat begrudgingly (laughs) admit this. I've had to answer this in my own life. So I know how this works, right? And this question may be too general, but here are some questions that I'll take you through to get more specific about how you can identify in your own life, right? How is your way working for you? How is your way working for you? Okay, so I've got a series of questions 
And you can just kind of listen and answer. This is like an assessment, basically. So you can just receive this, or you can always screenshot this. You remember to go back and listen and sit down and journal about this. But would the people you're closest to say that when they talk to you, you listen well? Hmm. Would the people you're closest to say that when they talk to you, you listen well? Is it difficult to fall asleep at night? Do you wake up feeling lethargic? How do you spend the first 15 minutes of your morning? What's the last thing you do before going to bed at night? What's the last passage of scripture you read and meditated on? On average, how much time do you spend a week doing some kind of hobby? Not a business idea, not a hustle, a hobby. Are you constantly dropping the ball on basic responsibilities like paying the bills or applying to emails? Are you having a difficult time keeping commitments? How many unread or unanswered texts do you have right now? (laughs) That one is scary when I see some people's phones. If you're a parent, can you tell me the names of your child's teachers? Have you been more irritable and easily annoyed with people? Do you spend more time on social media or more time in prayer? When was the last time you asked someone for help? Have you experienced some weight gain? How many times in the past seven days have you exercised? Have you experienced an increase in backaches, headaches, or digestive issues? How often do you say you're too busy when asked to do something you want to do? How often do you volunteer or find ways to serve every month? When was the last time you read a book? Do you get irrationally upset when the drive through line is taking too long? Have you become more apathetic to things you once cared deeply about? Do you increasingly find yourself wanting to be left alone? Do you feel your contributions and efforts are often unnoticed or unappreciated? Where do you go or what do you do to escape the stress and pressure you feel? And on a scale of 1 to 10, how defensive and annoyed have these questions made you? (laughs) Right? This is really, really interesting if you think about this, right? I think that there's so many things that are happening beneath the surface in our souls, our mind, with our will, the decisions we're making and we're not making, with our emotions, the things that we're storing up in our heart that we're leaving unaddressed, yet we just push through it till we get so busy and it only makes things worse. And if we would just take a minute and take a look at what's happening, it would reveal so, so much. And I know how scary this is. I know when I first started working with my very first coach, I had been very familiar with therapy. So I'd worked with a lot of therapists throughout my own life. I just self-sought them. Nobody told me to do this. I just did, right? Because I thought that's what you do, right? Like if something's wrong, you just go talk it out with some human that knows what to do with that, right? So that's what I thought. So in many different seasons of my life, I would seek therapy, right? Because I just seem to wrestle with way more (laughs) than other people that look like they were just having it, enjoying their life, right? Like nobody had real life crises to be working through at the time, apparently. And I did. So I would go and I'd work it out. But I remember when I first met with my very first coach and she started asking me all sorts of questions and I couldn't run. (laughs) Couldn't run from the questions anymore. I could either answer them, right? or not, but I was terrified of what would happen if I didn't start answering these questions. Because the reality is, when you don't start doing your work, you start living for something or someone else. 
and it doesn't get better. It often gets worse because that starts leading to all sorts of frustration and resentment, whether you voice it or not. So when you actually can slow down and start doing this inner work, it's one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself. And it's something that I continue to do, right? I think I've mentioned before, I find it imperative, right? I was always told, oh, like working with somebody like that, that's a luxury. I'm like, nah, man, like that's a lie. It is a necessity. I can't afford not to take care of myself. I've already seen that movie. Me not taking care of me (laughs) is going full speed into destruction. That's what that looks like, right? I can become my own worst enemy. We all can, right? So it's not a luxury. It is a necessity, right? And so where once it was a really hard thing for me to do, to ask for help, now I seek it out. Right. And when I finish working with one coach, let's say, I already know that I'm being queued up and prepared for the next one. Right. And when the student is ready, the teacher appears. God always has a way of allowing you to be in the right place at the right time, meeting the right person he wants to use. Right. To bless you. So something that's interesting to think about, if you've ever spent time with someone in the final moments of their lives, you know that the conversations are especially personal and intentional right? In John 14 through 17, the final words of Jesus are expressed to his closest followers before his crucifixion, okay? So the passage of scripture here is often referred to as the farewell discourse. And there's four different discourses of Jesus that are identified in the gospels, but this is the longest and certainly most personal in John. And Jesus knows that he doesn't have much time left on earth and his time with the disciples is coming to an end. So he has some things he wants to make sure that he says to them, okay? He knows full well what's about to happen and he knows the uncertainty they will experience in the days ahead. He knows the challenges they'll face and the insecurity they'll feel. He knows how overwhelmed they will feel regarding the mission he will give them. He knows how many people will understand them and will misunderstand them and falsely accuse them. He knows they will soon feel worn out and weak. And Jesus knows that if his disciples try to do things their way, it won't work. Okay? It's human to try to do things their own way. Doing things their way will create division and cause them to turn on each other. Doing things their way will cause them to feel discouraged with the lack of progress they experience. It will make them feel like quitting because of their own inadequacies. It will leave them feeling overwhelmed by everything that is out of their control. Doing things their way will leave them angry with God and with each other, but especially with themselves. Really, really interesting, right? So what it's... What Jesus says in John 15, 5 is this verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The phrase can do nothing (laughs) really captures the exasperation of your way not working, right? Like you feel like you've put in the work, but you're not getting the results. Despite your good intentions and maybe your disciplined routines, you're not seeing the gains, right? There are other ways to translate can do nothing. (laughs) You might say, nothing seems to be working. I can't catch a break. The deck's stacked against me. What's the point? I've tried everything. You might be hearing yourself here, right? And when nothing you do is working, Jesus gives a metaphor to help you know what to focus on. And it all comes down to one word, connection. Jesus says he is the vine and we are the branches. And as long as we stay connected with him, we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, nothing works the way it should. So, so powerful, right? The word that keeps showing up as Jesus unpacks this metaphor is remain. The English Standard Version translates the Greek word meno here as abide. 
It shows up 11 times in John 15, verses 1 through 15. In the final moments, Jesus tells his followers again and again to stay connected with him. No matter what happens in the future, no matter how discouraged you become, no matter how disappointed you are, no matter how frustrating the situation is, no matter how tired you feel, no matter what trouble you experience, here's the one thing you must never forget to do. Stay connected. When your way isn't working, check your connection with the vine. You're the branch, and the branch's most important job is to stay connected with the vine. Now, part of my story, I didn't come from a legacy of faith, as some of you may know. So when I was at a pivotal point in my life where everything was falling apart, and I was like, okay, here we are again. Now what? (laughs) I don't want to circle the mountain again. I don't want to be blindsided in a relationship again. I don't want to endure a crazy betrayal that I never saw coming. And it's shocking and painful and debilitating and just heartbreaking at a level I didn't even know I could experience. I can't keep experiencing things like this. Like, this is crazy. Like, I feel like I'm giving my best, but I have nothing to show for it. And I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm worn out and I'm doing the best I can, right? Really real moment. Okay, so gave my life over to the Lord. And one of the first words that he gave me, often I do get a word, like an anchor word, sometimes a verse. I didn't even know this was a thing. Apparently it seems to be a thing now, especially around New Year's, people get words. But God literally gave me a word and he gave me the word abide. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Because <laughs> my problem at the time was, God, I don't know you. I don't know the Bible, so I'm definitely not reading your words. I don't even know how you talk. I don't know if when I read your word, it's going to become alive and active like I think it's supposed to. I don't even know what that means if I were to experience that. How would I know? I have no clue how to pray. No idea. I have no clue how this is supposed to work. And the only word he gave me was abide. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Thank you for that. You're so faithful. (laughs) So I started studying the word abide big time and it became my battle strategy for the entire year. Basically anything that was taking me away from that main mission was a no-go in my life. If it was going to pull me away from abiding, I couldn't choose that. It was going to be a hard pass for me. Okay, so what's cool about this is Jesus loved to use metaphors and word pictures to help people get their arms around significant foundational truths. And I love this just because we are changed by testimonies, right? We're changed by storytelling. And I am a storyteller at heart, have a background in journalism and film production. I love helping people break down their stories with God, right? So we see all kinds of examples in scripture, right? When Jesus wants his followers to understand how to live in the world, he tells them to be the salt of the earth, right? When you hear that, you can picture it. You probably picture maybe like a salt shaker, right? And the light of the world, like a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden, right? Automatically, you might be picturing a lighthouse here. Jesus reveals himself as the giver of living water, the one who is the bread of life and the good shepherd. To help us better understand the nature and the function of the church, the Bible uses images such as Christ's bride, God's household, and the body of Christ. So not only is a metaphor memorable, it can take a complex idea and connect it to a familiar picture so that the listener continues to discover and apply deeper meanings. Okay, so while scripture contains dozens of metaphors, Only a handful can be called controlling metaphors, which in in literature, controlling metaphors are metaphors extended throughout the entire literary piece, kind of like a theme, a thesis, something like that. Think of a controlling metaphor as the hub of a wheel and all the spokes connected to that hub, okay? The controlling metaphor anchors the concept and conversation. So really, really think about this. I know some of you might have really disliked English, and I know for sure that's the class that I had all the red, (laughs) all of the notes and all of the feedback on the paper. So I get it. 
but don't skip over this. This is a really big point, okay? There is incredible power in identifying a controlling metaphor for your life, okay? These metaphors give us common language, clear direction, and a firm foundation, which is what we need. So many people say they're stuck. So many people say they're confused. They've got to recognize what their controlling metaphor is, okay? So I'm going to take you through an example so you can understand this. So there's some friends who've been married nearly 20 years, right, who are ready to call it quits. And they went to a marriage counselor who asked each of them separately for their side of the story (laughs) and took careful notes and then brought them back together. And at the end of the first session, the counselor said, before you go, I want to read several different words the two of you use to describe how you relate to each other. Okay. And these were the things that were shared. She is constantly attacking. He is always defending himself. I make one mistake and she's ready to go to war. We've tried a ceasefire, but it never lasts. I feel like she's always locked and loaded and waiting for me to mess up. Yeah, I attacked first, but it was a preemptive strike because I knew what was coming. (laughs) And the counselor told this couple that according to the count, they had used the word fight or some variation of it 27 times. The counselor explained to them that the controlling metaphor for their marriage at that point was a war. And without intending to, battle imagery was the word picture they used again and again to describe their marriage, relationship, and culture. Wow. Right? Attack, conflict, fight, defend, oppose, struggle. This was the lens through which they viewed their marriage. Okay? And if war were to continue to be their controlling metaphor, they'd keep responding as enemy combatants. So the counselor explained that they needed a new controlling metaphor for their marriage. And as the counselor listened to their broader story, he jotted in his notes that early in the marriage, they would often go dancing. And in fact, they'd taken ballroom dancing lessons together. And the counselor suggested that they work at switching their marriage metaphor. Instead of thinking of marriage as a fight, they can think of marriage as a dance. Okay? Really, really think about that. Now, on the surface, it sounds like, yeah, that's never going to work, right? (laughs) But in fact, they really were learning to dance together, okay? So what they really started to realize that the problem seemed to be that they were focused on who should take the lead when it came to different decisions. They were both trying to take the lead all the time, and they were both trying to control each other, which wasn't working. So now when they start to feel defensive... They can start using language like, I thought I was taking the lead, but I feel like you're stepping on my toes, right? And they're now focusing on how to find a rhythm for the relationship that allows them to move together, okay? So a controlling metaphor for them of a dance instead of a war gave them new language, brought some clarity and purpose to their marriage, and opened new pathways for evaluating their roles and responsibilities. Genius, right? So... This is so, so powerful. I know a lot of therapists might use this controlling metaphors. And I, with my my background, I happen to use more film language, like themes. You know, what is the the through line of this season, of this scene, right? So I do something similar. I don't necessarily call it a controlling metaphor. But this really helps guide people towards finding new controlling metaphors or themes for their struggles, right? And in doing that, you can gain a new perspective. It's one of the ways, too, that you can find God's perspective, okay? And chances are, if you've heard about controlling metaphors, it was from maybe a literature teacher <laughs> who, who talked about using these in poetry, right? But really, really think about this. There's a poem, for example, by Emily Dickinson. And I remember, I think this came up recently in a conversation, but it must have been in like third or fourth grade. I don't know. I did a really deep, intense poetry assignment where it was like this cardboard book with all sorts of like beautiful imagery that I like 
glued all over it. It was like a really um, interactive thing. And I had calligraphy and all sorts of writing on it. And it was like deep, deep stuff for a fourth grader. (laughs) But Emily Dickinson is one of the writers or poets that I quoted. And this, this specific one is called Hope is the Thing with Feathers. It says, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Now, (laughs) it's interesting, right? Listen to this slowly. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. The image of hope as feathers that never stop singing is a powerful image, right? Really, really think about that. Think about what you picture when you hear that. It's about not giving up hope. It gives us a different lens. That's often what great creative folks do. They give us a different perspective. They help us process pain differently. They help us see a deeper meaning that we couldn't initially come to. These people are heroes for that in a lot of ways, right? And that's what Jesus did for his disciples in his conversation recorded in John 15. He wants to give them something to hold on to when life is hard and nothing seems to be working. So in the cool of the evening, as they walked along the streets outside of Jerusalem, he pointed to the vines and branches along the side of the road and said, I am the vine you are the branches, right? Language like remaining, abiding, and staying connected don't seem overly helpful at first. You know, my preference would be to have a list of action steps and boxes to check, (laughs) especially my former self, right? When my way isn't working, I want a to-do list. Just tell me what to do. I'll go do it. Just tell me what to do, right? I want to be able to take control, make it happen. Yeah, right? I want to be able to put in the work so I can fix what's broken. But staying connected seems to sound passive initially. However, personal practices that lead to connection require intentionality and work. Connection does not ever just happen. And when your way isn't working and you're not sure what to do, be the branch. (laughs) If you stay connected with Jesus, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from him, you can't do anything. So this is often where I start all the time. Lord, you know, apart from you, I am nothing. And apart from you, I can do no good thing. Have mercy on me and help me in Jesus' name. (laughs) Right? It's a power prayer, I promise you. Okay? Now, something that I want to invite you to think about so you can start diagnosing why your way isn't working. We're going to get to it. I'm going to give you a few things here so you can actually see what they are. Okay, but I've talked about this before. Sometimes to really help you see why your way isn't working, you can use something valuable called the wheel of emotions. You can also call this the wheel of feel if you want to. But a lot of times your average human can't feel, let alone process their emotions. Okay, and what this wheel does is it gives you dozens of emotions to choose from. So instead of just saying you're angry or you're frustrated or whatever, you can actually see that, oh, you feel more withdrawn or you feel disrespected. That's way more specific. Okay, in emotions, I've defined them as energy in motion. So you can observe that. The Latin word immovere is defined in its simplest terms as to move. So you can think of this emotion either as something moves us to an emotion, an emotion is moving us to something. Something moves us to an emotion, an emotion is moving us to something. So a lot of people say, I'm triggered, okay? But something happens, a life event, a scenario moves us to an emotion, right? And an emotion is moving us to something. So where we've come from and where we're going in life are significantly determined by our emotions. And this is true even if you don't want it to be. So the more you repress your emotions, run from them, hide them, deny them, it is still driving you in a direction whether you want to end up there or not, okay? So there's a lot of emotions that tend to show up when 
things aren't working, when our way especially is not working. So when we're doing things our way, we've really stopped being the branch and we're trying to be the vine. We're trying to live our lives out of our own strength and wisdom. We're trying to bear fruit through our own efforts and desires. And instead of connecting with Jesus and finding what we need in him, we try to find it in ourselves. And as we know, (laughs) that approach will inevitably stop working at some point. And when it does, some predictable emotions will start forming, okay? And when you start looking at emotions, it makes it easier to start diagnosing the problem, okay? So while there are a ton of emotions on the wheel of feel or the wheel of emotions, I've really highlighted some that show us that we're living an unabiding life, okay? So think of these emotions that I'm going to bring up as symptoms that point to a diagnosis that our way is not working, okay? So first, before I tell you what they are, I'm going to hold you on some suspense here. I'm going to talk about Peter, okay? Now... You probably don't picture Peter having a wheel of emotions hanging on his refrigerator, right? When we meet Peter in the word of God, he's making his living as a fisherman, okay? And not to stereotype a fisherman. I've never done that as a career, right? But my guess is they might not always be in touch with their feelings. I don't know, but I'm just guessing, okay? So Peter doesn't tell us how he's feeling when his way isn't working, but it's not hard to pick up on some of the emotions lurking under the surface for him, okay? In Luke 5, Peter hasn't yet been called to become one of the 12 disciples, but he's been around Jesus enough to know he was an incredible teacher. Peter and his crew pull their two boats up onto the shore and are washing their nets after spending the night fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They are exhausted and ready to go home and crash, but, of course, like Jesus... (laughs) Jesus has other plans. So in Luke 5, 3, we see that Jesus got into one of the boats and it doesn't appear that he asked. He just, you know, jumped on in there. He climbs into the boat belonging to Peter. And I don't think it's really him being presumptuous here because he did heal Peter's mother-in-law. So, I mean, kind of has a right to be in the boat. Okay. But Jesus asked Peter to take him out in the boat so he can teach him from there. All right. And it's really interesting for Peter to receive that advice, right? Peter, a professional fisherman, has been out fishing all night. And now Jesus tells him to go back out and try again. He's probably like, bruh, mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. He's probably like, hey, Jesus, I'll leave the teaching to you. You leave the fishing to me. How about you stay in your lane, right? It's probably how Peter would have showed up. But what he actually says to Jesus is this, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And this is a fishing story. And we associate fishing with a hobby, something we do for fun a lot of the time. But it's a different story for Peter because fishing isn't something he just does to pass the time. It's what he's doing to make a living, right? And when Peter tells Jesus they had worked all night and have nothing to show for it, I wonder how he said it, right? How was his tone? Maybe he said it quietly, a little embarrassed because fishermen measure their success on their ability to catch fish. After he tells Jesus that despite all their hard work, they still hadn't caught anything, I wonder if he paused for effect there. Maybe a heavy sigh of annoyance. Maybe he took a deep breath in frustration. Or my personal favorite, maybe he gave a sarcastic, you gotta be kidding me chuckle, right? Really think about that. What if Jesus would have handed him a wheel of feel or a wheel of emotions in that moment and asked Peter to use that for feeling words? Tell me how you feel, right? Peter lets Jesus know he's already tired. He's worked hard and he has nothing to show for it. He says they hadn't caught anything. He acknowledges that his way isn't working, but it's not because of a lack of effort. And my guess is that you've experienced this dynamic in your life as well. Maybe (laughs) because of how God likes to work, you're experiencing it now, right? You've put the work in, you're expecting to produce a certain result, yet in spite of all your efforts, you don't have much to show for it. You've tried hard to turn things around as a parent. You've made an effort to be more consistent with your child. You've been intentional about communicating your expectations, 
You've worked at responding rather than reacting, but you don't have much to show for it. You've put in the long hours at work. You've taken initiative and made the extra effort. You've asked your boss what you can do to improve, and you've implemented the suggestions, but every time, every time an opportunity arises for a promotion, you get passed over. You've tried to reconnect with your sibling. From your perspective, you're the only one who's trying, but the more work you put into it, the more indifferent they seem. You've worked hard on your marriage. You've read the books, you've listened to the podcast, you've attended the conferences. You've even gone to see a counselor. You're trying to learn your spouse's wheel of emotions, their love languages, <laughs> their personality. But despite your best efforts, nothing seems to change. In fact, it seems to get worse. When we've put in the work, we have certain expectations of what will be produced. This is where we get into these expectation hangovers, right? So it can be really, really frustrating, okay? So here are four primary emotions that show up when your way isn't working so you can understand to some degree that you are drifting into this, okay? And really any given day, we experience a realm of emotions, but these will come up strongly. It's almost like an emotional home that you just keep living in every day versus like feeling a range of emotions. You constantly are living in these emotions, okay? So a way that you can view this too is to imagine a car's dashboard with a number of gauges that indicate the health of your vehicle and alert you to what may need attention. And as you look at these emotions, think of the dashboard and each emotion as a different gauge that indicates how disconnected we might be, okay? So I'll highlight these to you just so you can be aware, all right? First one, discouragement. Discouragement. This is a loss of confidence and enthusiasm. When nothing changed between the mother and her teenage daughter, she struggled to not give in to the discouragement. Okay? So when things aren't changing over a long period of time and we're expecting them to and we've been working towards it, we can fall into discouragement. Okay. Number two is fatigue. Fatigue is extreme physical and mental tiredness that comes from a prolonged period of concentrated exertion. He started off strong, but his pace wasn't sustainable, and so fatigue set in. Okay, we see this a lot with people that start a new workout routine, right? They come on strong, they're like, you know, and they go hard for a whole week, and then they're sore as ever, and then they don't go back, right? Their body wasn't used to that level of fatigue, and they gave up. Number three, frustration. Frustration is the feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. When she didn't respond the way he expected her to, he slammed the door in frustration. Being upset or annoyed, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. This happens a lot in relationships because we can't control other people. And lastly, number four, anxiety. Okay. The feeling of worry or unease, dis-ease, typically when facing an imminent event or uncertain outcome, you have no control over. The five-year plan for his new business was turned upside down by an unexpected pandemic and left him feeling overwhelmed with anxiety. Right? There was a major thing that created worry and disease, right? And now there's constant what I call future tripping about things falling apart and all the worst case scenarios. So on the dashboard of your car, there are likely a few gauges you pay close attention to, a few you're vaguely aware of, and perhaps even a few you know nothing about. Like if that thing lit up, you'd be like, hell, <laughs> what does that mean? You might continually check the gas gauge, but you'll ignore the battery gauge until your car doesn't start. In other words, we don't focus on the gauges until we know there's a problem. But this inattention isn't 
an effective way to drive our cars, okay? Not good. So when you think about the emotions that I've shared that are really exposing that we're not living our best branch life, (laughs) we've got to bring back Peter, right? We must consider Peter's response to Jesus. Peter's way isn't working, and Jesus tells Peter he wants him to do the same thing he's been doing, except this time he wants to... Peter to do it with Jesus in the boat. Peter's been fishing all night and hasn't caught anything. When he expresses to Jesus the reality of a situation, he's probably hoping for some encouragement and understanding, right? And when we work hard but aren't getting the results, we want people around us to say things like, I'll give you an A for effort, or you gave it your best. Maybe things will work out next time, or there's nothing more you could have done. We want to believe that those things are true. Peter waits in silence for Jesus to change his mind about going back out and casting his nets again. But when that doesn't happen, Peter gives the only right response when you discover your way isn't working. Peter says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Like, but because you say so, I will do it. Because you say so. Okay, so as you really think about this, because you say so, Remember that emotions are always trying to move us somewhere, okay? But Peter's response to Jesus is what moves him more than the way he's feeling in the moment, okay? A lot of times what gets us stuck, and especially what the enemy tries to use, which we'll talk about in the masterclass this week, he tries, us to get, he tries to get us to live by emotion, not truth, okay? Peter didn't feel like doing what Jesus told him to do. He didn't think what Jesus asked of him would change a situation or produce anything different, O ye of little faith, right? What Jesus requested didn't make any sense, like zero. Peter was using the same boat and nets, and he was fishing on the same lake. If anything, the conditions for fishing were worse (laughs) from what he knew from doing this his entire life, right? And Jesus tells Peter to go back out into the deep and be out there, right, into the heat of the morning. And none of the fishing books would tell you that these are best practices, okay? It's countercultural. It's against what they would do. But Peter's response, nevertheless, is because you say so. It doesn't make sense to me, but because you say so. I've tried again and again, but because you say so. People will think I don't know what I'm doing, but because you say so. I'm tired and worn out, but because you say so. I really don't think this is going to work, but because you say so. I don't feel like it, but because you say so. Saying because you say so is difficult. It costs you something, especially when it's different from what you want to do or what you think will work. It requires something none of us do very naturally. It requires humble submission. Okay, (laughs) a journey to deep connection with Jesus begins with humble submission. So, for example, my story that I was mentioning earlier, I was like, okay, amidst all my fears and all my discomfort, I now know my action steps. I'm going to go buy a Bible. I'm going to start reading it. I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to start seeing what happens when I read the Bible. Right. I'm going to trust that God wants me to experience him more than I do, right? I'm going to trust that this is leading me in a good direction, at least better than where I've been, right? So I humbly submitted to the process, even if I didn't know what it was going to look like, even if it didn't seem like it was going to be a fast one, even if I had no clue what the end game was supposed to feel like. So a humble submission requires an acknowledgement that your way isn't working. And admitting this to yourself is hard enough, right? Just try it. (laughs) My way isn't working. You know how hard that is for your average person? Crazy hard. And if your way isn't working, would you regularly feel so exhausted and anxious? If it was working, you wouldn't. If it was working, would you still be struggling with your addiction? Nah. Would you still need to have a drink before going to bed? Would you still feel compelled to look at porn when you feel stressed? Would you still head online and shop when you start to feel overwhelmed? 
Hmm. If your way was working, would you still experience the same turmoil in your relationships? Would you still be losing your temper with your spouse? Would you still have some old friends who no longer talk to you? If your way was working, would you still be struggling with bitterness and resentment? Would you still feel overwhelmed by fear and anxiety? Would you still be discouraged and ready to quit? Honestly, look around and ask yourself, if my way was going to work, wouldn't it have worked by now? Our journey through these four emotions will require self-awareness that is impossible. I promise you it's impossible without humility. Will we be humble enough to acknowledge that it may be time for a different way? Connection begins when we recognize the reality and the consequences of our disconnection and are willing to do something to change. Peter doesn't get a reason or an explanation for Jesus's request. He gets no guarantees. And that's how most of us want the story to go. In essence, Jesus ends up saying to Peter, Hey buddy, I know you're tired. (laughs) I know you've been working all night. I know you guys are wiped. I get it. You just cleaned your nets and you put them away. I know you don't want to do what I'm going to ask you to do, but if you'll take me out with you and fish in the deep water, Here's what I'll do for you. I am going to cause your boats to overflow with fish. Your nets will break because there are so many fish. And if you humble yourself and submit to me, here's how I'll bless you. What? (laughs) In John 15, Jesus promises us that apart from him, we can't do anything. But if we are the branches and stay connected with him as the vine, we will bear much fruit. And I don't know exactly what that looks like or what kind of production you can expect. There are no specific guarantees given. But for Peter, the difference between staying up all night without catching anything and then going back out and trying it again this time with Jesus in the boat is a clear, clear difference, right? Peter was about to have a front row seat to discover that more than his efforts and expertise, more than his talents, right? It was his connection with Jesus that would lead to the production. Let me repeat it. It's the connection that leads to production, okay? Peter may have thought Jesus didn't know anything about fishing, but he was still willing to humbly submit to him. And here's what Peter learns. Jesus knows everything about everything. (laughs) It turns out that Jesus was some kind of a built-in fish finder, right? Peter just needed to stay connected with Jesus by humbly submitting to him. And it turns out that in any area of your life that doesn't seem to be working, Jesus knows more than you think. God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. He knows more about your job than you do. He knows more about your spouse than you do. He knows more about your children than you do. He knows more about your body than you do. He knows more about your finances than you do. He knows more about you than you do. So as you restart your journey with God, the only way is to commit to humble submission. And that's where real connection begins. And acknowledging some of the emotions that stem from a different, from a disconnected life is hard and it's humbling, but it's necessary if we're going to experience the fruitful life that comes from a deep connection with God. In Luke 5, Peter humbles himself and goes back out on the water, but this time Jesus is with him. Peter casts his nets again, and this time there are more fish in the nets than the boat can handle. In verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Picture the scene. Peter falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus in the boat. What is he surrounded by? Flopping all around him is evidence that Jesus can do what he can't do. Without connection with Jesus, he can't do anything. But connected with him, he can bear much fruit. Peter's response to all of this is to repent. Repentance is a humble acknowledgement that our way isn't working and we're ready to go in a different direction. One of the most encouraging themes of this story, a theme that we see throughout scripture, is that because of Jesus, things don't have to stay the same. Hallelujah, right? 
The way things are doesn't have to continue to be the way things stay. This time doesn't have to be like last time. Like the enemy might be trying to lie to you. It doesn't have to be the same. Right? So really think about this. Are you trying to make your life work without a deep connection to God? I really invite you to take an honest look at the dashboard of your life. Check each gauge to see if there's any disconnection that needs to be addressed. Are you dealing with discouragement? Are you experiencing fatigue? Are you frustrated? Are you living in constant anxiety? Or are you experiencing all of these things? It's exposing disconnection. And nothing in our lives will work without being connected to God. It won't. And what God is inviting us into is finding greater rest, depth, and connection in our lives. He wants us to recognize that what he can't do, what we can't do, makes room for what he can do. He wants us to embrace freedom from the pressures of performance and production. He wants us to step out of loneliness and isolation, even when it feels scary. And he wants to help us discover distractions that keep us from connecting to God and how to counter them. God invites us into this beautiful journey, right? And it often happens when our way isn't working because that's how he has a captive audience. That's how he has our attention. When things are going well, it's easy not to consider God, unfortunately. But the reality is, apart from God, we are nothing. And apart from God, we can do no good thing. We are designed to have encounters with God every single day. We are designed to be strengthened in him in every way and for every good work. We are designed to partner with him in all we think, say, and do. But are we? And when we're not, the evidence is so clear. So, will you ask for help? Will you actually do something about your disconnection? What will you do to nurture your connection? What was highlighted to you today? What will you do more of? What will you do less of? Now, I have a couple of spots remaining. I know I made this offer and many have taken (laughs) the leap out into the deep. And I'm so excited because where two or three are gathered, the Lord is in their midst. And man, does he work every single time we meet. But I have a couple of spaces open on my calendar for coaching. Okay. This is an investment in yourself. This is an investment in yourself. But if you need to ask for help and you want to put God at the center of your life, and start moving into the good plans and purposes that he has for your life. Start looking at the things that are not working. Start taking action towards the promises that he has for you. Putting an end to self-sabotage and starting to master the things of God. Right? Start growing and maturing in God. Start examining your love ministry. If you want to start doing that work, all you got to do is email my team that you're interested in coaching. It's info at julianapage.com. And we can share the details with you about what that looks like and get you going. It's an honor and a privilege to ask for help. When you ask for help, a whole new world opens to you. When you know that God has brought you to somebody that's literally reading your mail, (laughs) that's God speaking direct to you. Okay? Don't miss that opportunity. Right? It's a window. It's grace. God wants to invade your life with his goodness, with his mercy, with his favor, with his healing, with all that he is. All he needs is a yes. So if you want to give yourself a yes, if you want to ask for help, if you want to invest in yourself, if you want to experience the power of coaching, specifically with God at the center of that relationship, email my team, info at julianapage.com, and we'll send details your way so that you can get started on that God journey. All right? I hope this message blessed you. I look forward to seeing you guys in the Masterclass and the Courage Co. Masterclass bundle this Thursday, August 10th. And until next time, stay blessed. 
Listen, if you are not plugged into Courage Co. yet, what are you doing? Courage Co. is a faith-based community off social media that you can access from your phone or your desktop, literally from anywhere. It is a safe place and a sacred space for you to invest in and live your most courageous and impactful story. You can join us for free, for prayer calls and challenges, for a monthly subscription where we have monthly masterclasses, or the God's Vibes Mastermind where you will get live master life coaching at a price that you won't get anywhere else, 12 weeks of content that we will go through together or you can navigate at your own pace. You'll have lifetime access to that. A community of women doing this alongside of you, a workbook and so many other materials to help you on your journey. And I just want you to imagine for a second, having the courage, clarity, and focus to achieve anything you desire. Walking into any situation, fully confident, knowing you have everything you need to succeed. Embracing challenges and overcoming obstacles with grace and ease. Feeling only love and compassion for others, no matter how they may have hurt you in the past. Standing up for what you believe in and taking unstoppable action to create the kind of world you want to live in. You're in the right place to take your next step on your journey. When you plug into the God's Vibes Mastermind, I'll teach you how to identify and eliminate the self-limiting beliefs and habits that are stopping you from getting the results you want. I'll teach you how to heal old wounds that have negatively impacted your self-image and self-esteem for far too long. I'll show you how to dismantle the story of who you are and what you can or cannot do in the world. I'll help you expand your consciousness from fear-based limitation to love and compassion and service to the world. I'll help you vanquish the inner enemies that are stopping you from being all that you can be. Release your victimhood and reclaim your power. Develop a aligned mindset and habits to boost your productivity and results. Gain deeper awareness of your own inner light and divinity and achieve the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual self-mastery needed to achieve any goal. You will learn how to think the way God formed, shaped, and anointed you to think and succeed the way he always intended and show up in any situation as the most powerful person in the room, no matter what challenges might appear on your path. If this sounds like something that you want to be a part of, I want to invite you to join the God's Vibes Mastermind. You can get plugged into it over at Courage Co. You can access Courage Co. at any level at www.courageco.org. Together, we will awaken your inner warrior spirit and unleash your capacity to achieve any goal you can imagine. You will become an example of what's possible with God.